Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. What's up this week, Mike? Hey, not much. We're rolling along, doing something a little bit different on the pod. That's always fun. And uh, you know what? I saw my parents up in New York uh, for the holidays just the other day, and we all got, for Christmas, No Limits Thriller Podcast hoodies. The zip-up uh, is a new item, go. and it was it was pretty sweet. It was It looked good. Yeah, I need to get my dad a fresh one, maybe for his birthday in January, because he... He always he wears it all. It's like his go to just you know weekend sweatshirt. Nice. And so he, my parents came up to PA for the the holidays, and his was just beat up. But he loves it. He said it's so comfy. Whatever like company they they got to to make those sweatshirts was really nice. Yeah, that's why I added the zip up. My old hoodie was getting beat up too because I wear it to death. And the zip ups are are pretty comfy. They're they're almost the same material. And having the zipper is just so much easier. Put on and yeah. on. So yeah, thought yeah, I'd make yeah. a little plug right there. <laughs> All right, there you go. There you go. Patrons get 30% off, so visit thrillerpod.com, check out our store, check out our Patreon page, and you can get that coupon code. And while we're at it, go ahead and check out our new designed website where you can find all the books with the covers and click based on which part you want to read. Just click on it, take you right to the episode. Mike's done a great job tidying that one up. It looks really nice. I finally got the Brad Thor page posted. So now we got all the Mitch Rapp books, all the Brad Thor books that we've covered, Jack Carr, Chris Howdy, and some Andrews and Wilson ones up there. So it's an easier way to navigate and go through our episodes based on which book you, you want to hear us talking about. Cool, cool. Oh, and since we're doing Jack Carr here, I added the Terminalist TV show episodes where we were covering the, the TV series. So you can also go back and listen to those as you rewatch that banging series. Nice. And I guess while we're at it, we might as well just hit them up with the next uh, two books or four books that are in our um, 2023 lineup going forward. So we are going to be giving you in January for Scott Harbath, The Last Patriot and The Devil's Hand. We're going to wrap up all of the Jack Carr novels that we have to date. And then in February, we're going to be doing The Apostle and some, a, a new author debuting on the Mitrap pod or on the thriller podcast sleeping bear so yeah looking forward to that go ahead and check those out I'll also post you know our march april and may books it on uh michael do it on twitter and i'll do it on instagram so you can have a heads up and start reading because we're going to be pumping out the content for you come 2023 can you believe 2023 mike is, is this pod coming out before or after the new year Depends on when I get it edited. <laughs> Most likely just after. So all right, just all right, after all right. the new year. Yeah. Well, happy new year, everybody. So t- hopefully 2023 brings you all the joy that you, you could possibly want. You know what did not bring joy to Sanger Rainsford? Crashing upon Ship Trap Island and having to face General Zarov. I don't know how much joy you could say there is in this short story we're covering here today. Yeah, no, not a lot of joy. But some, I, I don't know, me and you wanted to talk about this because there's some really interesting, you know, dialogue, really interesting um, questions that arise. And obviously, you know, it was the inspiration for the last Jack Carr novel we did with Savage Sun, which Mike has some nice, you know, Savage Sun, Savage Sun connection plots that we'll get into later. But I, I really enjoyed this, you know, the boat with Whitney, like that, his conversation, you know, before he stupidly drops his pipe and, and falls off like <laughs> <laughs> he gets hit by a rope or something just like a swinging rope 
Yeah, that it was just a little, like, fate. A little confused. Yeah, I guess I guess it is fate. Um, and then obviously the, the hunt is really good. You know, yeah. the very end and, and how he gets them. Did you think he? I don't know how you could answer this question because you both me and you read this for the first time back in high school. But can you remember? Like, did you think he had died? Did you think he was going to come back? While I'm reading it? Yeah. I think the first time I read it, I knew some, I didn't know if he'd win. I, I had thought he would kill Zarov, but I thought it might be like, they're going to die together. I don't remember. Cause yeah, middle school, we talked about last episode or a couple episodes ago, reading this for the first time. I don't remember though, in the back of my mind, I was wondering if he was going to kill Zarov as I was reading, I knew the ending and, and I know how it plays out. But just because of a line where Zarov says, like, death would be too easy or or you almost got the sense the way he talks up the hunt, it would be an honor for him to die in the hunt. Like, his life was all about the hunt. It's been too easy for him winning the hunt. And yeah. so, like, it would actually be thrilling to him to be on the other side of the hunt. And Well, that's that's part of the reason why he lets Rainsford go the first time he catches him, right? Because exactly. he... He doesn't want this to be that easy. So he stretches it out too long, though, at, in, in his pride. And so I'm wondering if Rainsford would pick up on that and wonder. By killing him, it's almost the easy way out for Zarov, where continually right. reminding him for the rest of his life that he lost the game and there is someone better than him and he was bested. That would be torment enough. Like Zarov would live. More in hell alive, knowing someone bested him then he would live dying or then he would be dying. You know, it was almost more fitting if he had to live knowing that he was bested. Yeah. Or like, you know, always this, this threat over your shoulder that you could die from. Well, this no, man. he'd like, yeah. so he'd live for that. He would like that part of it. Oh, you, Cause you he think, likes the thrill. I think him dying gives him more pleasure though. Yeah, maybe even when even Cause he's bored, he's end, bored, he's, he's bored. bored, right? That's the whole point of this game. I guess. All right. Let's we're, we're jumping yeah. to the end. We're jumping all to right. the end. Let's go back to the beginning. And I had this, uh, I kind of asked you the before and I, I want to get your thoughts on it. But this, this thing that Whitney brings up in the idea, I can't, was it Whitney or Rainsford? The idea of do prey, because we know the humans obviously have fear. And maybe that's what makes us a little bit, you know, we're a little more intelligent and it's a it's a poison of our intelligence. This idea that we can know things and therefore we feel fear. You know, we we loss. We, we we know loss. Do prey not not the human prey, but like animal prey or, or whatever. Do they feel fear? And I thought this was an interesting question. I think I remember like my professor posing this, and we had to like write a little prompt or something about it. I think my answer is. I think yes to an extent, but not not in the same way that we do, because I don't think like deer are constantly wor like worried about about dying. You know, they just they are there to live. You know, yeah. But I think it takes like a higher intelligence to have to partition your brain to to be able to think about you know the other side. You know, like, like yeah, we we almost think about a lot of more people think about trying not to die than actually like living. Whereas I feel like most prey think about how am I going to live? How am I going to survive? Then worrying about dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's that contemplation of death that in the hunt, 
on an animal, animalistic level, the hunt is is only a survival instinct, which for every animal in nature is their daily life, is their only lived experience. But you're right, humans can contemplate death beyond that just survival instinct level of every single day is just about how do I survive and what do I need to survive? We can have things like leisure and contemplation and reflection and relaxation. So I think this idea of hunting, once you throw man into the mix on the side of prey, it really reaches that philosophical level. And just like thriller novels, they can be just kick-ass action stories with really cool characters and badass stuff. Or like what Vince Flynn did for the genre, they can go to this next level of political intrigue or philosophical contemplation. I mean, think of like a Stan Hurley, was it? If you're not getting busy living, you're dying. What was the quote? What's the Stan Hurley line? It's something like that. I'm blanking on it. But yeah, if you're not if you're not getting busy living, then you're dying. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. If you're not busy living, you're dying. And I feel like dropping lines like that in a thriller novel, it's just like, damn, that's awesome. And that's, I think, obviously what Richard Connell's doing here with this jaguar hunted hunter conversation. What It's, it's kind of a ballsy way to open up because you might get people to think this is all kind of philosophical language and dialogue and you don't open up with some action. Right. But all throughout part one, starting with the boat scene with Whitney, I really like this slow buildup, this kind of slow reveal of the hunt, like what the most dangerous game means on a deeper level. We're really having to build to that. And that kind of leads to the part two. I would call part two the encounter with General Zarov and the conversation over dinner. And if the conversation with Whitney was like a snippet of that kind of talk among friends, it's elevated then when we move into the, the chateau or the castle and over dinner, General Zarov is being really coy and playing this game, talking about this animal he hunts. I really love that transition from the talk with Whitney to here. And we see that through Rainsford's eyes because Rainsford says to Whitney in the beginning, there are only two types of people, the hunter and the huntees. And he says, you and I, my friend, luckily you and I are the hunters. So he almost has this bravado, this hubris about him. But that's while he is on the hunter side. Once he's put in the shoes of the huntee, that mindset's got to change. You become the jaguar. And you were just saying the jaguar lives in the survival instinct. He almost has to do that as a man, just purely switch it to survival instinct. Yeah, and I guess to caveat my question or even Whitney's question, a little bit further, it's like fear can be broken down into like two different kinds of fear. You know, you have animalistic fear or this is instinct to fear. And like really Zarov gets into this idea of reason versus instinct, right? This is what like probably one of the main questions of the short story, like and suggesting what draws the line between a hunter and, and a prey and that, you know, humans can have both humans can have instinct, like and and, and it's not just all reason. And I think animals can also have, you know, I guess the question is what is instinct and what is reason? They right? live like, in the instinct. They don't have yeah. the reason. Right. But, you know, you get to like dogs. I don't know. Like when does, a, when does an instinct become a reason? Well, it's like Pavlov's dog, right? Or Pavlov's bell and all that or whatever it was. Even though there's reasoning of I want to get the treat, that's still an instinctual desire that's just been trained. 
or conditioned, maybe that's the word, where true rationality, I don't think is just the bell rings, I'm going to come and get my treat. You know, you're reasoning that, that's a logical conclusion, it's a deduction, but it's still based on just this conditioned, you're basically conditioning your instinct. I want the food. When I hear the bell, that's my chance, I get it. Versus rationality and consciousness is a whole different level of reasoning. You don't just automatically take the food. You think, what's the context of this? Who's giving the food? Is right. the food poisoned? Do I like it? Do I not like it? Will I share it with a buddy? You know, Is this a communal food that's bringing people together? Is this a let's just grab it. Whoever gets it first, they're the winner. There's all these different social complexities and dimensions. And so even if a dog will reason, ooh, the bell means I'm going to get food, it's still not that level of uh, rationality. Right. And then I guess you also can throw in morality in, into, the, into the – And ethics, right, right. Yeah, What's ethics. General Zarov's uh, ethics? Right, because once you start thinking about – you can reason your morals about why you do something. I'm going to do this because I believe in this. That goes far above an instinctual experience, right? Right. And Zarov even has that line where he's like, we're hunting the dregs of society. <laughs> the people who fall off these boats or I capture, the reason they're on the boats is because they're already low men, you know. And he lists off a bunch of actually quite racist, uh, you know, monikers of who he hunts. You know, he I hunt this group and that group, the Chinese, the, the whatever. Yeah, well, we should caveat and say that this, this came out in, what, 19... Uh... 24. 24. It was written on a first published in Coiler. It was a magazine. It was a magazine installment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And then so since No, but then, my, 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 my point there, though, is obviously attitudes have changed, but that is written into Zarov's character for a purpose. Oh, yeah. In for that sure, for sure. his ethics and morality are I as a superior. Don't he even care. puts whites yeah. on that list because, you right. know, again, he's centralizing himself as the Cossack as the stronger, the ubermensch, and everyone else he lists off, which is pretty much all other races you know, in society, he says are inferior. And so I think that speaks less to the times. It certainly speaks to the times it's being written, but I, I think it's more so speaking to Zarov's view of the world, which is there are classifications among men, and he can be among the highest because he has power, you know, he has authority, and he what he thinks are skills, you know, to capture these people and kill these people and, and physical power over them is what classifies like physical imposement of power classifies people and their social status. And so I think that's written into his character on purpose, which Jack also does because I do want to talk connections to Savage Son where Alexander is importing people from the CAR from central African Republic. Right. And so that's the reason I bring it up is that language while completely out of, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's, it's quite frankly, racist language. I think the way it was written into General Zarov is captured when Jack writes that into Alexander as he's you know, basically importing people and trafficking people from CAR to hunt. Right. Right. What did you think of the dinner scene and the, his initial conversations with Zarov? Once he gets, you know, obviously he falls off the boat, washes ashore, hears these gunshots, is intrigued. I think it's kind of weird. It's like Rainsford is intrigued by these gunshots. You know, he's pulled towards it. Yes. He thinks to, when he falls off the boat, I'm going to swim towards the gunshots. That must be the hunter in him, you know, like uh, uh, trying right. to understand what's going on with this. You know, he almost, you can blame him 100% for putting himself in the situation. Yeah. And this dinner conversation, it just reminds me so many times. It's written. This is probably one of the best, like, written parts of it. 
you know, like the scenes in movies or TV shows where you get the antagonist and the protagonist together, you know, like this, this scene right here is one of the best of pitting two foes against each other. And in this, this is their first meeting. He doesn't even really, I mean, I'm sure he has like a suspicion of like, what is this guy doing? And then finally he puts together the pieces that, oh, he's not hunting. Yeah. He's bored of hunting the prey. And then uh, he realized what he's saying is he's actually hunting humans. I don't know. This, the dinner scene written prose wise is, yep. you know, probably some of the best that Connell put in this, you know, packs is, is that packs is this, what is this 17 pages, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. This whole story is 17 pages and there's so much. The dinner scene is the cornerstone of the story, which is crazy to say because it's obviously remembered for the the hunt and the actual hunt and the ending is fantastic. But I really do think there's a purposeful and intentional drawing out and, and lengthening out this dinner scene because the dialogue there is the cornerstone of the story. It really is. Right. It's not just the action at the end, which is actually quite quick, <laughs> a matter of maybe three to four pages. Right, exactly. Uh, the bulk of this, 50, 60% of the story is right here at, at this dinner table. And that slow build is just so good as a literary device because he heard three gunshots earlier. So as a hunter, he already knows you're taking down something big, right? And then he finds a 22 uh, casing and he's like, hmm, must be big game, right? I wonder why they'd bring such a small caliber weapon and take three shots to finish him. Then he sees the brush that's kind of scattered. He's like, whoa, that's a big creature that was kind of hiding under this brush with this trail. So we're thinking it's a big creature. And then there's a couple other things building throughout the dialogue where he says, Ivan is from a savage race, a Cossack, just like me. So we got some hint that this guy is calling himself and his race a savage. And then he's enjoying the dinner and it's a really nice dinner. But he says there's something off about the way General Zarov is, is staring at him and like st- sizing him up. The quote was appraising him narrowly with his eyes. And he's talking about the Cape Buffalo as the most dangerous of big game. And Zarov says, oh, no, there's more dangerous game right here on this island. It's not natural. I stock it. Oh, the thrill in hunting tigers? Nah, there's no real danger in hunting tigers. And he says, I've done a rare thing. I've invented a new sensation. And then it, it, it ends up with... Quote, quarry with which I can match my wits. Right, exactly. And that's when he realizes. Yeah, exactly. And, and he realizes, wait a minute, that's the line. I can match my wits. And once rationality comes up, we're like, oh, man. And, and Sanger Rainsford is starting to put the pieces together. We as the reader are putting the pieces together. And then finally, the reveal is the line you said earlier about instinct. Animal only has legs and is instinct. But instinct is no match for reason. Courage, cunning, and above all else, it must be able to reason. And there is one animal that can. That's when we know as the reader, and Zarov knows, he's getting into some deep, deep doo-doo right here. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what, you know, we immediately understand the crux of the story and what the most dangerous game is going to be. I like the, uh, there was another title, um, the Hounds of Zarov. Yes. That, that's, a, that's a cool a cool title. There's a connection to Jack. Jack wrote The Dogs so clearly into the Siberia right. scenes of Savage right. Sun. And the Hounds here play a very integral role. Right. All right. So we, we got to get into the hunt, man. Part three. Yeah. We kind of already touched on it uh, a little bit in terms of 
trying to understand why Zarov would let him go. Obviously, it's his hubris, and we see connections to that with Alexander in terms of underestimating his foe. Obviously, he doesn't think that... I have even mentioned this on the Savage Sun pod, how he doesn't think that James Reese is going to be able to... You know, His guys are going to take care of him. I don't even need to worry about him coming for me. And that ultimately leads to his downfall. And then you get, you know, he, the, the quicksand was cool, uh, you know, just the, the various traps that he sets up, wounding him with a knife. And then finally, like, I actually, I really wish I didn't know the ending. And I didn't remember it until um, Tyler had mentioned that, or maybe it was you who mentioned that he's he, in the room. He's in the room. Because as I'm reading, I'm like, wait, does Rainsford die? And then I remembered what you said. And I was like, oh, you know, he doesn't die. Because I, I, I think upon reading this, you're supposed to take it that, like, he's dead. He, he jumps off the cliff to, you know, get away, right. into whatever, the water. into the water. And Zarev's won. And, but ultimately, he, he didn't. And I, lo- I love the, the ending where he says, this is the most, no, what, oh, I'm not as good as quotes with you. I, I need to save him. What does he say about this is the most uh, comfortable bed that I'll, yes. I'll ever sleep in? Because that's what because that's what uh, Zaro says to him, right? Dude, let me read this ending because you're a hundred percent right. If "Call Me Ishmael" is like one of the most iconic openings of of a book or anything in literature, you know, Moby Dick, this right here has to be one of the most iconic endings in all of literature. So listen to this. Rainsford screamed the general. How in God's name did you get in here? Swam said Rainsford. I found it quicker than walking through the jungle. The general sucked in his breath and smiled. I congratulate you, he said. You have won the game. Rainsford did not smile. I am still a beast at bay, he said in a low, hoarse voice. Get ready, General Zarov. The general made one of his deepest bows. I see, he said. Splendid. One of us is to furnish a repast for the hounds. The other will sleep in this very excellent bed. On guard, Rainsford. He had never slept in a better bed, Rainsford decided. Yeah, it's just like perfect ending. Yes. You know? <laughs> Zarov fed to the hounds. Oh, it's brilliant. He he won. So Exactly. Yep. And he enjoyed that bed. What a perfect little short story, man. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I want to get into a couple more of the connections I found between this and Savage Sun. Sure. But just while we're on the hunt. I think the really cool things that Rafe is doing and even that Hannah did before him to try to hide their trail or double back, yeah. double back and all that. Right. That happens here. He, he covers up his footsteps. He's like, only the devil would be able to follow this in a rational way and find me up in this tree. And then Zara finds him. So I love that line of like, only the devil could do this. And then he did it. You also got the melee man catcher from Malacca. And I right. love how. He uses these strategies where this fallen over tree, he set a trap that the tree will fall on you when you walk under it. And Zarov recognized the the move. He's like, oh, the melee man catcher. So it's kind of showing this insider info for people well-trained and well-versed in, in this kind of stuff. And same with the trap door and the pit with the spikes. And, and Zarov is like, ah, Burmese tiger pit. And it killed one of his dogs. Then lastly, how he actually gets Ivan is that Rainsford right. builds a native Ugandan trap where he ties back a sapling with a knife. And so I just love those little hints, uh, one after the other after the other, showing you Rainsford's skills, kind of like putting him on par with a Rafe or, or, or a Reese. Like we know this guy's got the skills. 
We already know he's an accomplished writer because Zarev says he's read his articles on hunting the same way Rafe writes articles under the pen name Rainsford. We know Rainsford right. wrote about the hunt in magazines because Zarev has read him, his published work. I'm just loving all these things. It's it's such a joy. And, and for Jack to make it his own, set it in Siberia instead of this Brazilian island off the Caribbean, I think it's just really cool uh, how he was clearly inspired by this story. Also, did you get any, uh, like, Ivan is Sergei vibes? And that, sir, of course, right, exactly. They're both kind of this indigenous or more native group to Russia. And yeah, he's a massive man. The way his size, his imposing strength is displayed reminded me exactly like Sergey. Dude, Jack, uh, I'm glad Jack decided to base his Savage Son off this. It's, you know, great short story and one of the better adaptations of it. Because I've seen a couple, uh, I don't know if you saw that Quibi thing. I was really bored during lockdown. And so I downloaded Quibi. It was like Quibi launched in March of 2020. And then they had like a, a Liam Hemsworth most dangerous game movie that, you know how Quibi worked? It was like Mm-mm. quick bites. Oh, they like would show like these movies. Like a bomb? No, they were like seven minute episodes, five to seven minute episodes. And then every day or every like couple days they would post an episode and it was like a movie literally a movie that was just chopped up into like oh, seven okay. to ten minute episodes Interesting. and so they had christopher waltz at playing the the Zarov, and then liam hem liam hemsworth the the lesser of the hemsworth brothers um playing like a rainsford and like they really they get, they get pitted into this you know they put all these people on an island who have, you know, have money issues and then they, they have to hunt each other and kill each other. And it's more so like he, and then uh, finally at the very end, he has to kill, you know, uh, so. So it wasn't this story. Game. They weren't just making a film of this. No, it was called The Most Dangerous Game and it was, uh, it was adapted and inspired by it. Oh, uh, it sounds like a Hunger Games or. Type yeah. Of thing. Oh, that's weak. I, I think there's been a few film adaptations of this, but I don't know of yes. any modern ones. Like no, I know there were either. older ones. Yeah. He just pulled it up on uh, 1932. There was a a movie. 1961. There's been a lot of like slight, uh, a lot of um, movies that have been inspired by it. It's in the public domain now. I think since 2020 Ooh. because it came out so long ago, which right. means anybody could make film it now, you know, and make money off it. Oh, there's a movie that came out last year called The Most Dangerous Game. It's a remake. Is it of this plot, though? Sanger Rainsford, Baron oh. Von Wolf, Marcus Rainsford, a little Ivan. 3.5 out of 10 on IMDb. I don't even know who Tom Berenger or I know who Judd Nelson is. Interesting. Casper Van Dyne. I don't know any of these people. Who made this? I don't know. That's a pretty bad score right there, though. Yeah, that's, that's a really bad score. So won't Let's be checking that one out. Yeah, thirty-eight percent audience score. Yeah. Fewer than fifty ratings, though. So what about the original? What about the nineteen thirty-two one? I don't know. I wonder. Oh, dude, this movie put it in Alaska, which is interesting. Director was Justin Lee. We ever hear of him? Mill Creek no. Entertainment. No idea what that is. IMDb is a 7.1 out of 10. On the older one, the, the one from the 30s? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I think now that this is in the public domain, though, I think we're going to see 
I think we're going to see something made of it at some point. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, by a big studio. That'd be cool. Well, all right, man. Fun this talk. was fun. Should we yeah. talk more uh, short stories sometime? Do a little short story pod? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, we might have a spinoff series here if you're willing to edit it and put hours into getting these things ready every week. What do you say, Chris? <laughs> um, maybe we'll see how my new house with more kids goes. So, all right, all right. Next time we see you, we will be bringing you the last patriot. So go ahead, and dust off your your copy of that, and subscribe to the Scott Harvath podcast. Yes. We need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Can't say it enough. Five stars, five stars. You can find us at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, Mike, I'm just, I'm still a beast at bay. That you are. That you are. Always. Always. Well, instinct is no match for reason.